Welcome to the Cal Current Podcast, presented by the Law Offices of Snell and Wilmer. This is a legal podcast that examines a variety of current legal issues that affect individuals and businesses here in California and beyond. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Paul Giancola. I'm a regulatory healthcare lawyer in the Phoenix office of Snell and Wilmer. For this episode of Cal Current, we are going to discuss healthcare fraud. Every year, the Department of Justice reports in blockbuster headlines that it's had another banner year of recoveries under the False Claims Act. For example, in 2020, the Department of Justice reported that it, it had opened 580 new healthcare fraud claims, it had settled 265 claims, and most importantly, it had recovered $2.2 billion on those healthcare cases. Since 1986, the Department of Justice has recovered $62 billion in healthcare fraud cases. One of the most powerful weapons that the Department of Justice has is the fact that under the False Claims Act, a private party may bring a lawsuit on behalf of the government, in this case, the United States government, against healthcare fraudsters to recover money. This is, uh, they're also called QI-TAM, Q-U-I-T-A-M cases, uh, in which a private party or a whistleblower, as they're commonly called, brings the lawsuit on behalf of the government. The term QI-TAM is actually Latin, and it means he who sues in the matter for the king as well as for himself. And this is truly reflective of these types of cases because in 2020 alone, uh, the government paid these whistleblowers who brought these lawsuits uh, $272 million as part of the uh, recoveries that they made on healthcare fraud. Healthcare fraud is governed by various state and federal laws, regulations, and guidance. And primarily, these laws and regulations were enacted to combat fraud in federal health care programs, such as Medicare and Medicaid. Before we talk about the, uh, the actual key laws, in addition to the False Claims Act that is used by the government to bring health care fraud cases, I think it's worthwhile for us to take a step back and look at the health care system in general, and in particular, the healthcare system as it relates to federal payer programs. The healthcare system today, which is essentially paying for goods and services that are provided by various healthcare providers and entities, accounts for 18% of the United States' GDP. Every year, the United States spends approximately $3.6 trillion, that's trillion with a T, on healthcare. That works out to about $13,000 per person. Of that $3.6 trillion, it's estimated that approximately $760 billion is uh, wasted annually. And of that $760 billion, and some people estimate it as, as even higher, approximately $75 billion is related to fraud. And when you do the comparison, you can see that the government is, is collecting $2 billion in fraud recoveries per year, but um, it's projected that there's $75 billion in healthcare fraud. You can see that there's a high degree of disconnect between the actual amount of fraud and what the government actually collects back when it goes after those who are committing the fraud. 
So let's drill down into what are healthcare programs that uh, then are subject to the fraud and abuse laws that we have currently on the books. Well, the first and the most popular one that we think about is Medicare. Medicare actually covers about 44 million people in the country. It's approximately uh, 14% of the healthcare payments. And after that, we then have Medicaid. Medicaid uh, is approximately 20% of healthcare payments, and it covers about 76 million people. In this country, we still have about 10% of the population that's uninsured, which comes to about 30 million people. And then we have employer-based or private health insurance, which takes up uh, a little over 50% or 156 million people are covered by it. As far as the Affordable Care Act goes, the Affordable Care Act is a, is a way of subsidizing people who then buy health insurance through the private market. And the Affordable Care Act did reduce the uninsured population by about 20 million people. So that's where we are today. So we have two really big buckets here. We have the, the federal payer bucket, which is primarily consisted of Medicare, Medicaid, but also includes other public programs such as TRICARE, which is for military members, Indian Health Service, and Veterans Administration programs or Department of Defense. If we look at what is encompassed by the healthcare system and, and what the healthcare fraud laws are going after, we're talking about all of the money that's paid to doctors, hospitals, medical device makers, labs, pharmaceutical companies, pharmacies, and the like, anything that has to do with goods or services for healthcare. Medicare is um, for the elderly, 65 and over. It's administered by the federal government. It consists of hospital care, medical care, and drug benefits and the like. Medicare also contracts with um, private insurance companies through Medicare Advantage plans to uh, provide Medicare benefits for those who wish to do it in that way. Medicaid is a joint federal-state financing program where two-thirds is paid for by the federal government, one-third is paid for by the states. And in California, we call it Medi-Cal, and that is the Medicaid program. It covers approximately 43% of all the births in the country right now. And generally speaking, if you make less than 138% of the federal poverty level, which comes out to about $17,000 per single person, you're eligible for Medicaid in those states that have expanded to Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Otherwise, most other states who haven't expanded, it'll be 100% of the federal poverty level. So in addition to the so-called um, whistleblowers that we talked about earlier, federal uh, healthcare fraud cases are also uh, brought by the Department of Justice. The FBI becomes involved, the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Inspector General. And what they do is they conduct civil, criminal, and administrative investigations. They audit Medicare billings. They audit providers. And with everything being electronic today, data analytics and data mining, as it's, so, as it's called, is a, a huge tool of federal government in terms of deciding or determining who is overbilling federal health care programs. So with that background, I'd like to go into what are the major laws that we look at when we think of federal health care fraud? Well, the first one is the anti-kickback statute. And the anti-kickback statute is a criminal statute. And it essentially says that you are prohibited from offering, paying, soliciting, or receiving any remuneration to induce the referral of goods or services paid for by federal health care programs. So let's stop right there. In non 
federal healthcare business, normal business outside of it, it's not unusual to want to try to wine and dine, if you will, your favorite customers so that they will send you business. In healthcare, that's the type of activity which is prohibited. So, for example, if you're a pharmaceutical company and you want to promote a drug, you cannot fly doctors to Hawaii for medical conferences and pay their expenses and meals because that would be considered an illegal inducement or gift to the physician to encourage them to use your particular pharmaceutical drugs or your medical devices or whatever it might be. Same thing about bringing doctors or people who are able to prescribe or buy your products to an expensive event, say the Super Bowl. You want to give someone tickets to the Super Bowl. Again, those would be prohibited under the anti-kickback statute if whatever it is that you're selling is ultimately going to be paid for by a federal health care program. Similarly, giving um, patients discounts who are Medicare patients or waiving their co-pays and deductibles, uh, again, would be an improper inducement to the patient and anti-competitive so that the patient would come to see you as opposed to see someone else because you're giving them a benefit. Referral fees back to someone who refers your business. If you're a cardiologist and you get referrals from primary care physicians, providing them with gifts or splitting fees with them would be illegal uh, if you're billing a federal health care program for the services that you're providing to those patients. So anti-kickback statute is basically inducing people or paying people for referrals in any way is illegal. The second major law is is a law called the Stark Law, named after a congressman from California by the name of Pete Stark. And basically, this law is a prohibition against physician self-referrals. What this means is that a physician may not refer to an entity in which the physician or an immediate family member has a financial relationship for the furnishing of certain designated health services for which payment may be made by a federal health care program unless an exception applies. We could spend all day talking about the exceptions to the Stark Law, but the Stark Law only applies to certain types of services. Some of the big ones would be clinical laboratory services, imaging, home health care, inpatient and outpatient hospital services, for example. So let's give you an example. Suppose a doctor has a private practice And the doctor also decides to invest in a freestanding lab with some other doctors or with even non-doctor investors. Under the Stark Law, because the doctor has a financial relationship with the lab, in this case, an ownership interest in it, the doctor would be prohibited from referring his or her patients to that lab under the Stark Law. Two reasons. One, clinical lab is considered a designated health service. Number two, the doctor has a financial relationship with the lab. And three, the doctor stands to profit by those referrals. Same thing with if a physician owns a standalone imaging company or a home health agency, referring to your own entity with payment from federal health care programs is prohibited. On the other hand, you can find exceptions to this. So for example, if that lab is in the doctor's office and not a separate freestanding and is part of the practice of the doctor, then that becomes an exception that the doctor can refer to their own lab. Same thing with imaging if it's part of the doctor's office. What the government has found, though, is when they do studies, they find that when people own ancillary services such as labs or x-rays, they tend to refer more patients to those ancillary services that they own And therefore, the government feels that they are potentially paying 
for medically unnecessary services, or there's an enhanced usage of medical services that might not otherwise be there. So that, in a nutshell, is the is the Stark Law. The third law, which we just touched upon briefly, is the False Claims Act. The False Claims Act is a civil war statute. It allows whistleblowers to bring cases, and it essentially says that if someone knowingly submits or causes another person to submit false claims to the government for payment in the Civil War, if you submitted a claim to the government that was too high or for a shoddy piece of equipment, it would be considered a false claim. Same thing with federal health care programs. And the penalties under the False Claims Act, which is a civil statute, are quite egregious. For example, it's treble damages. So if the government pays $100 for something, it's treble. So the amount owed becomes $300. Plus, you're subject to penalties of up to $23,000 per violation. More importantly, this False Claims Act may be used to bootstring any violations of the Stark Law or the anti-kickback statute. So if there's a violation of the anti-kickback statute, rather than bringing it as a criminal case, a KETAM plaintiff or whistleblower plaintiff could bring it as a violation under the False Claims Act, a civil case, and obtain a recovery there. The other beauty of the False Claims Act is that the, the case is filed under seal. The government then has six months to decide whether or not to intervene. And if the government thinks that you have a good case, it then takes over the case and brings all of the resources of the federal government to bear in prosecuting that case. A couple of other laws that come into place is one is the Civil Monetary Penalties Law, which basically says that the Office of Inspector General can uh, impose civil penalties for certain false or improper claims or certain conduct. And then an exclusion statute, which is if you're violating the law, they can exclude you from being a provider under Medicare or Medicaid. California has similar civil and criminal laws for medical billing fraud, Medi-Cal fraud, insurance fraud, and the like. And lastly, just to give you a few examples of fraud, um, if you're billing, if a provider is billing for services that were not provided, performing medically unnecessary services, keeping an overpayment from the government, a payment that you shouldn't receiving, billing the government at a higher level of service than you're entitled to, as we mentioned, waiving co-pays or deductibles, misrepresenting in your office who performs the service. Sometimes there's a distinction between getting paid as a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant versus as a provider. Duplicate billing, payment for referrals, uh, and overutilization of services, which is most common, such as labs and x-rays. This is a very large topic. We could probably discuss this for, uh, for a long time. I teach an entire course in it. But that gives you an overview of some of the fraud and abuse laws that apply to federal health care programs. And that will, I assure you, result in, the, again, another blockbuster year of recoveries uh, by the federal government against health care providers. We've come to the end of this episode of Cal Current. I appreciate your time. And if you have any questions about the topic covered in today's episode, please consult with your legal counsel or counsel of your choosing. Thank you and have a good day. Thank you for listening to Cal Current, a weekly podcast navigating California's legal landscape brought to you by the law offices of Snell and Wilmer. Do you have a topic you would like to discuss? Please feel free to send us your topics to calcurrent at swlaw.com.
Be sure to check out our website for more episodes and information about this podcast. We can also be found on all major social media platforms at SW Law News. Thank you, and until next time. <laughs>